I need to tell you some things you're not going to want to hear. I need you to listen. Trust that what I want is the best thing for me and my family. For our club. Absolutely. Welcome to the last ever Sons of Anarchy flashcast on TV, uh, courtesy of the Incomparable Network. With you, as always, is me, Lisa Schmeiser, and podcasting with me... Uh, I guess it's me, Phil Moslack. Yes, and... Tony Sindelar. Yes, we patched you in a couple episodes ago. <laughs> Best decision we've ever made. Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> so... um we are going to kick off, of course, with, with the usual ritual. We all sit around, we go to church, we sit around and pick one word or phrase to describe this episode. There's a big silence because everyone's like, crap, I was not prepared. I, I prepared. <laughs> oh, you did? Ooh, let's go, let's go. Ooh, okay, I'll go first. Well, Phil's thinking. Yes. Uh, I mm-hmm. went with uh, reckoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is kind of, this is the final reckoning. This is, you know, all scores are settled, all debts are paid. Yes. Uh, not there are not very many threads left hanging. No, there aren't. We can talk about a few that I came up with just because I had questions, but no show is perfect and no show wraps up 100%. And I think that's actually the good mark of a good show. So, all right, Tony, yours was reckoning. And I um, had I had tweeted out, I guess mm-hmm. la- that night. I said yeah. accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, because the only phrase I can honestly think of is nailed the landing. <laughs> because my big worry was that um, my big worry was that the finale would would swerve or back off in a way that's meant to shock people or leave them talking, but wouldn't be true to the internal logic of the show or the premises that have been laid down over the last seven years. And instead, like they basically nailed the landing. Yeah, and it, it, in, in in Anarchy Afterward, I know Sutter mm-hmm. said. He didn't want to leave anything open because that's just not the way it was done. Yeah. I also like to think that's sort of a screw you, Soprano. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you remember um, yeah. I ne- we, we actually bailed out, Phil and I bailed out on the Sopranos um, right before the last season. Because we figured we were like, all right, uh, we're not engaged in the story anymore. So we're just going to fit. We're, we're done. But um, I remember the outrage over. The, the final scene in The Sopranos and people endlessly debating it. And um, while I certainly had a lot of mockery because the show kind of went aggressively in the other direction, <laughs> like there's no confusion as to what happens or why. Um, at the same time, I really appreciate that Sutter had the, the courage of his convictions to, to nail the landing like that. Because it's not Dexter where he like goes to work as a lumberjack in the woods or whatever. You know, it's it's um, Jesus teller dies for your sins. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, think we, I, I mean, th- there are things that I do not like about this episode, uh-huh. but I, ca- yeah. we, I uh-huh. feel like we got the ending that we deserved, yeah. right? The, yes, the kids got out of Charming. Jacks finally had the courage to break the cycle. Yeah, and there was there were not a lot of any kind of big surprises, but Mm-mm. I don't think that that's bad. I didn't, you know, there were some fake outs and there was some interesting stuff, and you yeah. know, I was a little worried because we had talked about like episode uh, eleven as being the big kind of all the stuff is happening that twelve and thirteen would just be kind of cleaning up, and you know, yeah. there's still some stuff that happens. This isn't like that that last episode of every season of The Wire where like mm-hmm. you know we're just we're filling out paperwork for that last episode and letting you know yeah. how, how the chips fell. Like there's still some stuff that has to get you know. There's still yeah. loose ends that get that get clipped. 
Um, yeah, I don't think I ever finished a season of The Wire without wanting to curl up into a suicidal ball because it's just like that's the right it. way. That's I mean that's <laughs> I love The Wire. I've seen The I Wire do. many many times, um, <gasps> but I like it because it like it makes me feel things. So in my yeah. in my cold shriveled little heart, it's like nope, that I'm getting there. Even though I've, you know, even through multiple rewatchings, it's like I, I can rewatch one through three, but like once they get to the, the the season with the kids and The Wire, I'm out. I can't watch that multiple times. That's um, the one that, that that's my favorite. One. I've watched that oh one the most. I, I don't bother with five, you know. But, no, uh, no, no one um, should. But no, I mean, I think four is. I mean, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, on this podcast, yeah. about but I'm this is but it's it's the language that we understand, and yeah. that's mm-hmm. and that's what's that's what's crucial. And that actually brought me to two questions I was thinking about this week, which mm-hmm. was the first one being now that this season is done. Mm-hmm. Did it make the entire season not seem so wasted? And I don't know if there I have a true answer for that myself. I'm more I'm kind of posing it to you two. You know, you know, it seems like the last four were so epic. Yeah. Did it did it does it now make sense? And maybe it's a rewatching that I'm gonna have to do to see if yeah. if it actually made made sense. Okay. Um I'll rise to that challenge and try to answer that question. Because I think you have a great point. The back third of the season was really strong. (laughs) And you really had a sense that he was whipping everything into shape and wrapping it up. Um, I still feel like the first two-thirds of the season could have used a good heavy edit and a whole lot less gun-dealing, wheeling and dealing. Um, If I had to... like. If I had magical editing powers, I could easily imagine pairing a lot of stuff out, um, including all of the machinations to take down um, the Damon Pope stuff, because you can easily kill, you know, you could have killed Bobby with a whole lot less backstory. I mean, there's going to be enmity between those two organizations anyway, and you didn't need to have the car chase that ends up with people on the lake and Jack's rescuing them and being hit over the head with the parallels with that kid and his mom and him and his mom and so on and so forth. Um and I probably would have also reduced the juice stuff by about by about half as well. That said, like I said, the, the back third was really strong. I'm not sure it redeems the whole season. If you go back and do a rewatch of the show, what really stands out for me is how tightly everything really hangs together seasonally. Like season one is just a tight, fast, and well and well plotted season two is 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 masterfully is masterfully compressed and disciplined a lot goes on season three they i think the irish stuff was a mistake but i think the framing stuff around it was really nice and it pushes season four into perspective and season four is probably i think the strongest season they've ever had in the show and then after that it just kind of unravels and goes loose and I'm not sure if it's because by season five you've got like this whole history and and people are coming to the show with with four years of backstory and expectations or if it's Kurt Sutter having like a third act problem because now is when you have to start killing off your favorite people and showing consequences and, you know, the guns are on the table and so now it's act three, they have to go off. But by and large, incredibly strong finish to the season, a gratifying finish to the series – I'm not sure it justifies the interminable episodes that came at the beginning of the series. Because, Phil, you and I did a whole lot of, oh, this episode, it feels like homework. For, yeah, for there a were a lot of episodes where not a lot happens. Yes. And then these last four have yes. so little breathing room. Yeah, everything and happened. <laughs> everything happens. And, like, 
I mean, it's exciting, right? There's no dead space in these last four episodes, right? Every scene, pretty much every scene is like pushing things forward and then talking about stuff. And, and, you know, there's not a lot of filler dialogue or anything like that. Um, there's occasional comedic things that they do. I was surprised that there's one more scene in the porn studio in this episode for some reason. Um, oh seemed like God. maybe maybe we didn't need yeah. to shove that in, but um, no, we did. But they did. Um, I and, don't know. And and it seems like the only because Lila had already gotten her ending, in my opinion. This it, just yeah. confirms it. You know, it seems like the only reason she was there was uh-huh. to say, "Is something wrong with Jax?" That was yeah. the, that was her whole her whole. But Wendy purpose. got to do that too. Yes. Right? that's true. Yes, I, my only theory is like. They kind of wanted to give us a taste of everything in this episode, right? I mean, we have like mm-hmm. the wacky car chase early on. We're, yeah. you know, it's like we want to kind of like have you relive all the, the like the highs of you know what you've enjoyed about the show. And so yeah. we're going to give you a little bit of of each thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I could have done with a whole lot less Chucky, for example. Yeah, um, I mean, he's not even in in this episode much, but it's like, I, it, did you need to be in this at all? Yeah, you know? and the answer is no, you did not. Yeah. Um, I don't, I've never, I, I mean, I don't find that character particularly amusing or yeah. certainly not endearing, so I I mean, I don't, he, he's hung around for a long time, so, yeah. you know, I don't think it's the actor's fault or anything, I just think, mm. you know. Well, I think if we, um, before we start, so I'm going to go around round robin, pick the top three moments from the epi- from from the finale that that you made you feel gratified, or like what were your top three favorite moments from this finale? I, I think the one that that and this seems odd to me. I think just because I have a, a you know, I I really do like Chibs. Mm-hmm. I think the moment that he and Jax are sitting. And just and and he says, "I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to like." Mm-hmm. That was that was strong. I also really liked the moment when Chibs really showed exactly the the stuffing that he is made from, which is yeah. I can turn my love off or what seems like love in a heartbeat. I am a criminal, mm-hmm. and I will do mm-hmm. what I do. See you later. Okay. I think that was probably one of the strongest scenes in the in this episode where they're up on their thinking roof and mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's stuff that's said and there's stuff that, that doesn't need to be said and that, yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that for me is one of the big ones. Okay. Well, so that's one. And, all, that's and, one. and, and, and the, see now I'm going through my pictures of, of crying right now and yeah. And, and, I, <laughs> and I don't think it can be emphasized enough. And I know in afterward it was not emphasized as much as I would have liked Jimmy mm-hmm. Smith brought something to this show that yeah. was completely unexpected and their relationship and especially things are said things are completely unsaid and it's look I'm going away here are these things that you're going to need to have and it's it's basically I am going to die or something I'm going away I need you to do these things for me Mhm and and you know he's just breaking down. Yeah. Yeah, no the fact that he agrees to to take the kids and do a favor for somebody who has basically killed his girlfriend. Mhm. Um this really shows you what um Nero is made of. Mhm. And it's also oh, sorry. It, it also shows you the difference between 
um, and I'll skip ahead and interrupt. I realize we're on number two, but for me, one of the most powerful moments and the one, one of the, one of the moments I cannot stop thinking about, and I'm not sure if it's a favorite moment or not favorite moment, but it's certainly one that, that really had me reeling was when you see Jack systematically burning all of the notebooks that he yep, had been writing with his sons. Top of my list. And then Ooh, when he goes yeah. to the entire episode saying, I'm a bad man, I'm a criminal, and you realize he's said goodbye to all of the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations that he had been talking about for, for the first five seasons. And um, like that really got to me. And so one of the questions I'm turning over in my mind is, what is the difference between Jax and Nero? You know why? Why was Nero able to 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 find that moral core and reinvent himself as somebody who can rise above grudges and vendettas, mm-hmm. versus Jax, who kills his own mother? Mm-hmm. You know what, even, is, what is the difference between them? What what was the critical difference? And it kind of doesn't even. I mean, like Jax's last line, which is from my on my list, the scene where he's you know he's basically saying bye to his to JT at the at the rock, right? And and his kind of last little line in there and it's a little hokey because he's you know he's talking to his dead dad but i mean you know they keep it short and sweet and the and the the dialogue is is powerful and he you know like ultimately he can't reconcile he cannot be both a good outlaw and a good father right and nero kind of does get to though right but that's the kind of there's kind of and i didn't think of it until you just brought it up now but i mean does nero i mean is i mean nero kind of grows up and goes a lot further than jax's and now he gets to walk away. I, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting in that Nero finally getting out. I mean, there's this kind of this whole thing where he's been talking about the farm forever. And it's like, he doesn't actually go until he... Because Nero wants to help everyone, right? And it's kind of amazing in some ways that ha- that has not gotten him killed 20 years ago, right? He wants to help everyone. He wants to be the peacemaker. And he finally leaves when Jax tells him, like you're helping me by leaving and taking the kids right now. Right. And it's like, okay, then we'll go now instead of like tomorrow when I, you know, figure out more about, you know, tools and packing and, you know, other things that have been kept keeping me circling for 48 hours, you know? Um, But yeah, maybe that's the X factor is Nero realized earlier that he couldn't be both a good husband, a good outlaw and a good dad. Because that was actually one of the first conversations he had with Jax is when he introduces him to Lucius, or at least alludes to mm-hmm. Lucius's existence, and then says that was a wake-up call. And so mm-hmm. he's been rearranging the pieces of his life. But um, It's also, I guess, it's, it's unclear. Yeah. I mean, he is building a new life for him and his son. Yes. I guess it was a little unclear to me how much Lucius is part of his life right now. Yeah. Right? You know. Yeah, if, that's a good not, question. Maybe he's not day-to-day, and maybe that's yeah. the idea is that he, you know. Well, that's a good question because um, one of the lingering questions, and we actually have to get back to the rest of Phil's top three and then go around and do more, but one of the lingering questions I have is, is he going to send for Lucius and bring him down to the farm, or or how's that going to work? But anyway, um, so, Phil, you talked about um, the scene between Jax and Chibs on the roof where, 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 where Jax basically flips the script and he's no longer Jackie Boy getting fatherly advice, but he actually demonstrates serious gravity of purpose and leadership and tells Chibs this is what's going to happen. And that's very moving. And then between Jax and Nero, there was that moment where, you know, they they come to an understanding over what Nero can do to save Jax's kids. What was your third big favorite moment in the episode? Well, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was mm-hmm. with, with Chibs and, and uh, Jerry. Ooh, wow, that was a favorite moment for you. <clears throat> and hmm. the reason and I think the reason is it showed 
what these guys are capable of. And also, Mm -hmm. at that point, if I'm not mistaken, he's already talked to Jax. So he Mm -hmm. knows where his role is going to be. And it's the role of leadership. It's the role of, you know, look, look, you cannot come with me unless you're willing to commit 100%. And I can't be part way in. And it's something that Jax has always said with even Opie. You can't be Mm -hmm. halfway in. Yeah. That's really interesting because that scene didn't really land with me. Mm -hmm. But but I I don't think I was thinking about it from... Chibs knowing that like he's going to be president, right? Yeah. Um, no, so I, to me, I just saw that as like not really having a much of like it was tacked in there because we knew we needed a scene, but didn't have the same kind of finality that a lot of the other scenes did. It was the way he threatened Jerry that put a bad taste in my mouth. Where he, yeah, said, and and I thought this kind of goes against everything he would say to her in private. Mm-hmm. But then again, maybe since he spent the entire season telling Jax and the rest of the boys, yeah, it's nothing serious, so I'm just working her or whatever, maybe this is confirmation that Chibs is actually pretty stone cold mm-hmm. and and willing to, to be a total pull-the-trigger type of outlaw guy. But uh, well, he, he pulls some triggers. But I do, I really appreciate your bringing that up because I would not have thought about it as um, with, with the same context you have. So this gives me something to think about when I, when I do a rewatch. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm mm-hmm. curious to see it because because I think my timing, my my I may be misremembering, but I, mm-hmm. I I think it is after that, and if it is, yeah. it's because you know things have changed, and and like his yeah. whole his whole modality has changed. Yeah, <laughs> Chibs it seems to be the only one that truly understood the gravity of what mm-hmm. what what could have happened or what what the potential was of a mayhem vote. Yeah. And Where he's like, we're going to have to vote to kill, to kill Jax. Well, this, okay. So I have mayhem vote questions, which I guess we'll get to, but I really want to get around and get Tony's th- three top moments of the finale. And then we can get back into why we didn't see old, old Fort and Bross from Indian Hills insisting <laughs> on, on, on like, you know, insisting on Robert's rules of order. But Tony, your top three moments of the two. Is this a draft? If, if yeah. Phil said it, can I not choose it anymore? Is that how <laughs> no, it works? No, no, I don't no, know no, if no. I have a long enough list. No, um, you, no, you can pick some of the same ones. So I already mentioned um, that I think the scene with, with Jackson Chibs on the roof was great. Yeah, that's uh, that's a gimme. We, that's a gimme. We all get that first round. That's, that's first round. <laughs> that's our Phil Hartman uh, of the scene. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I like the scene where he's talking to JT before he goes on his, his final ride. Um, I think that was reasonably well done for that. Um, mm-hmm. And then pro- the one that we haven't kind of mentioned or talked about, I like his uh, his final scene with uh, with the DA played by uh, CCH Pounder. Oh, um, yes. you know, because he finally he yeah. does kind of the right thing. Because like, yeah. I don't think that scene needed to be in here, right? And you know, like I, mm-hmm. I feel like they could have done this episode without her ever reappearing. But like, that's kind of Jack's doing the right thing. In a in a way that he has not ever done the right thing, right? And obviously he right. he settles all these scores, and these bad people get killed, and like that, I'm kind of expecting, right? Like that's the like the kind of that's the outlaw, but the he is going to come clean and and kind of make her life easier, I guess, by by letting her know what's going on um, as his kind of final confession, right? I mean that I think that was a scene that you know 
probably was challenging because I had to get CCH Pounder back and things like that. But like that added a lot, um, and I, I could have seen them just slipping by. Like I did not think we were going to see her again. I didn't think we were going to see Marks again. Um, so I thought that scene was was really great. Well, I think what really added to that scene in a kind of a an end capping was the last time he was in that office, he kind of was out to screw her over. And also then she mm-hmm. came back mm-hmm. and talked to him, what, episode one? Yeah. And one or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that allowed for him to say, OK, look. And it also gave us the illusion of, hey, by the way, the bad guy loses. And he didn't. That was this was basically the first time where he did not try to play law enforcement, right? Like every other time, it's been some kind of double cross, or he gives them information to use them to go after somebody he's pressuring or something, right? And this was like he was he was truthful, basically, right? And that's I mean that's what made this episode interesting is that he's again it's another one of these episodes where someone who knows they're going to die is still walking around, um, but his performance is I mean his performance is a lot more interesting than say Juice's, right? Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay, so those were yours. Yeah. yeah. Was that three? I think that was three. I think so. it was three, yeah. Yeah. Was it? Okay, so <laughs> your first one was the Chibs. Maybe that was two. Okay, yes, you're right. Sorry. I'll go yeah. one more. Uh, you know, it's... I'm I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. In our defense, it wasn't we'll cut all this episode. Out. There's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess I'll mention, because I got to steal comments on other people's scenes. Uh, the mm-hmm. one other scene I like, you know, when he finally uh, settles the score with Marks, there was a mm-hmm. lot of visual symbolism in this episode, but I thought one of the most effective one was when he's he's hanging out on the courtroom strat, uh, steps, mm-hmm. uh, draped in that old blanket in a kind of a, a Grim Reaper-esque uh, yeah. image, and he you know, kind of action movie style, throws off the blanket and, you mm-hmm. know, and lets everyone see who he is and, you know, shoots the bad guy and runs away. And that was, you know, that was striking. A lot of people get shot, um, but that one was kind of more, um, I guess, badass than the other ones, or at least vis- <laughs> visually memorable. Um, yeah. See, and now that you say it like that, as the Reaper, yeah, that yeah. makes I mean, that's, total that's... sense. I didn't even yeah. see it that way. Mm-hmm. But now we have to go, let's go back just a few minutes Oh. To what happens there? We get the uh, the lonely homeless woman. It scares me about this particular ep- this part is the mm-hmm. minutes preceding this, where he meets mm-hmm. up with homeless lady, and uh-huh. she shows him the you know gives him the blanket and says what it is it's time. Yep, yep, that's her and only line. I mean, are we are we getting a little bit like kind of? I I don't know where where he was shooting at for this because it seems like so it does she even exist? Well, that's a whole separate that's a whole separate conversation because I want you guys to float your best homeless lady theories too. That's gonna, <laughs> that no, that's gonna be another round robin thing because because yeah you, you know because first we're doing the the three things we like the best about the episode the three moments that stuck with us and then we'll do the three moments where we were just like oh come on and then, <laughs> yeah so so stick a pin in in. Um, the homeless lady and uh yeah but yeah it was really striking imagery because that was that was one of the most the murder of him and that mark's murder and borofsky's murder were both like jesus wow you are not even trying to hide this anymore (laughs) (laughs) borofsky hey and some jack hey check this out i like that he was like like ladling stuff into like a a thing and it's like really you you have to do that like you don't have you're an evil corrupt 
policeman crime boss and you ladle stuff for customers yourself i just i mean maybe he, he, he must like it it must be relaxing because it gives him a sense of accomplishment i would just i would delegate is what i'm saying <laughs> gives him a sense of accomplishment to take a few few small things off the to do and he's also like the ch- cheeriest right like usually he's like so annoyed at the guys and what what is his last line like hey handsome jack or something like yeah. that and they get shot mm-hmm. in the head and then he shoots him more in case like getting shot in the head was not you know not i know he just keeps plugging it i was like all right we get it. he's dead oh you, you want to be certain when you're yeah. when you're clearing the docket you want to really mm-hmm. you know you don't want to you don't want to serve justice halfway so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't, we don't want him turning into like some sort of, you know, just paraplegic that can still turn coat. Yeah. That could come back as a half robot, half policeman. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Of Anarchy 2035. <laughs> I would probably not watch that movie. I don't know. I've watched worse movies. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Frank Miller is available. I can only assume. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, uh, I liked Borowski too. I liked that. I liked the the jittery and irreverent energy he brought to the proceedings. <laughs> well, because one of the things that initially attracted me to the show in the first few seasons was what a lively sense of humor it had, and how much these guys actually enjoyed their work. For the most part, because a lot of them really did like what they were doing. And then, like, they get all these big, heavy, stupid feelings in, like, seasons four through six. And everyone's all torn up inside and all that business. And, and I was like, where, where is the fun, you know? Like, the first ser- the first season, they, they like, castrate a clown. And still people are like, woohoo! You know, it's good to be a biker! <laughs> and, um, you know, that just drained out of the series. Which I suppose goes in tandem with Jax's personal development and all. But one of the reasons I like Borowski was Borowski really liked who he was and what he was doing. And that was a nice bit of energy in the, in the show. So. <sighs> so. All right, so now your top three, Lisa, my top three. Um, the first one, and I mentioned this before when Jax starts burning the notebooks, mm-hmm. his notebooks, especially because it took him to realize what he was burning. And then I saw it was um, like, what I love about that scene is you see him burning JT's thing and it's almost like he's like, no one can ever read this again. This nothing good happens when you read JT's stuff. And then you see him burning photos of the club. And then you see him burning like shoebox after shoebox of these notebooks. And you realize this guy must've written like a mofo for years. And, um, that was kind of the first big gut punch of the episode for me because it was the literal embodiment of Jack's burning up his hopes and dreams. And, you know, we've been saying all through this season that, oh, the show can only end with Jack's dying, or, you know, the show can only end with Jack's dying. But, like, it was the first time it really hit me that this was somebody who was preparing to die, and he had thought, he had put a lot of thought into his legacy, and had decided that, you know what, my kids are never going to go through what I just went through, trying and failing to to fix JT's mess. I'm going to make sure they don't even know this existed. I'm wiping myself, I'm wiping myself off the map. And that was really, that was one other tweet that I had put out, like the sins of the father yeah. shall not be the sins of the son. Yeah, it was just, it was how, how he wiped himself out, like all of the thoughts and hopes and dreams in his head that he had ever put down because he wanted his kids to know him and what he did. Like he deliberately went and destroyed that. And like he literally decided that the best thing he could ever do was, was to, 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 to erase himself from existence. 
Well, and I thought it was a really strong statement that, yeah. to Nero saying, I want my son to hate me. Yeah, yeah. When he, when he, when he says they, they have to despise the very idea of me. Um, so that was, I, I was just kind of, kind of, so I was gut shot by, by, by Jack's burning his, 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 his stuff. And then the scene between Jack's and Nero, where Nero gets the confirmation that, yeah, Jack's really did kill Gemma. And then he, you know, knowing what he's done and how he's broken Nero's heart anyway, he's like, you and he's like, you and Wendy really have to take my kids, get them out of here, keep them away from charming, please. You know, I, I need you to do this. And then watching Nero struggle with all of this and then rise to the occasion and do it was, was, it was another one where it was, it was a, a moment where, where, a healthy kind of love wins the day as opposed to the kind of toxic, destructive, you will get yourself or others killed type of love. Cause there's a lot of different types of love on this show, but, but Nero's was some of the most well-adjusted. So I was kind of okay when Jackson was saying goodbye to his family, like, Ugh, whatever, say goodbye to the kids. But when Jackson and Nero are having their final reckoning, that really got to me. That was powerful. And finally, the last thing that stuck with me was when you see everybody in the clubhouse kind of moping and then you cut and Tig is just leaning on Venus and she's stroking his hair. And what I have found interesting about this show, and it doesn't seem to get picked up a lot, is when you think about the whole pat- the whole seven season arc has been kind of a redemption story for Tig. Because he starts off in season one, he's the dude that, that has sex with hookers and corpses indiscriminately. And Cold pat- I can't remember... And, and, and then, you know, like, remember that he had a warrant out for his arrest for indecent acts with the livestock and they had the break, they had to break him out of jail after the, after the bounty hunter found him and all that. And over the course of the series, he's become somebody who has, has found the person that he wants to do right by for the rest of his life. And that he's not with the club, but that he's with Venus on this truly terrible day. Like, I thought that was a beautiful subtle and significant indication of where his head was. And although he's the vice president of the club now, like if you had to future cast for what's going to go on, I think he's going to go into semi-retirement in about five to 10 years. I kind of felt like that was a little too bad that he got, I kind of wanted to see him get out. Right. But it seemed like they were the last two Mm -hmm. kind of original members from when the show started. Right. Because there's no one else, right. Everyone else is a a more recent addition. So seniority. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed that they actually didn't have rats step up a little I bit. I kind of, I thought they might do something like that, and then, nope. Yeah, yeah. And the, but there was a nice moment. So those are my three big, um, the one runner-up moment is when they're doing the um, Mr. Mayhem vote, mm-hmm. and Rat can't bring himself to say anything, and Tig just leans over and very quietly squeezes his shoulder, and that's when Rat can finally make the vote for Mr. Mayhem, and just the semi-paternal relationship that those two have going. Like, both actors did a fantastic job of building that up over the last two seasons, and they just had a really nice rapport and, and body language with mm-hmm. one another, and I, I felt like it was worth paying attention to that. that. That Tig, for all of his, oh, you know, he shoots people's wives by mistake, and oh, he's Clay's loyal puppet, and oh, he's a degenerate who, you know, if it's a hole in the ground, he'll have sex with it. Like, the fact that he's actually turned into somebody who has a lot of empathy, you know. Well, they do a pretty good job of walking back. Like, he kind of starts as, like, a cartoonish character and becomes, like, a real person. Whereas usually you see characters who become more and more their extremes and become the cartoon version of themselves, right? Uh, so that's a nice nice change. So 
Oh, I, I think he is completely, uh, totally underrated. Oh yeah. And I think I think we're going to start to see. You know, he he plays these bit parts every once and again, and I mm-hmm. think I think this show has definitely brought him to the forefront. And, yeah. and you know, same same with um. Tommy, Tommy Flanagan is getting more work because of the show. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a, it would be a shame for them not to. Yeah. So, so those are my three. But so three moments that made you roll your eyes or go really or come on or <laughs> oh this made no sense or what the what or did we need to see this like the three moments you could have that 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 provoked a strong negative reaction in you. All right, I got it All straight right. out. All, All right. right. The 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 final sequence riding around with a bunch of cops on your back end. Yes. Okay. Oh that that it's like the ending of the Blues Brothers. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was too much. It was. There but, were too many sweeping helicopter shots. There were too many. I thought of the Blues Brothers too. It's just there's yeah. too many. Right. It was. Yeah. <laughs> and and then then it started to hit way too hard on the nose. And yeah. we have one crow go across. You could yeah. have left it at that. But no, we have to have, I don't know how many crows crossing over the camera CG style. Seven. Seven. Now, did, did, seven, that, one did for, that? One for each season. That was on purpose. Oh, oh I that's... thought it was for the people killed off. But okay, yeah, either way. Yeah. yeah. Either way, too much. Yeah. Too mm-hmm. much. If it was just one and it was like an accidental, it slipped, I could have, I, I would have loved that way more. But then it was just like. Would... Shh, there was not the subtlety was not in their budget for the last ten minutes of this episode. That no, is, oh they, my were go, they took it in a different direction than subtlety. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I think if you could just if you could just list like three moments in like the last ten minutes of the episode where you're like, and then this happened, <laughs> because I'm and I'm going to interject. And maybe we should just run this away. The very last scene where you see the crows eating the wine-soaked bread. Oh, come on. And then the blood trickles down, and you're like, oh, my God. Jesus, Teller died for our sins. It yeah. was just... Oh, no, no, no. Actually, you want to know what my... I'm sorry. I'm going to jump the line in this one. <laughs> um, it's when... Michael, it's when Jax does that stupid arms out thing, and then yeah. you cut to poor Michael Chiklis, and he screams, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> Bam! <Yeah. laughs> it's like really, really, because because we couldn't get it with the bread and wine reference with the homeless lady, and we couldn't get it with 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 him, you know, talking to his dad and and and, it's, and, and yeah. sacrificing everything. We have to have him literally mimicking a crucifixion <laughs> posture, and then have poor Michael Chiklis scream, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he needed to come back. I mean, I think we had mixed feelings about his appearance in the last episode. I was okay with it, and I was okay with that being it. I don't think he needed another... No. Another, another few seconds of pay. You know? Driver. And, oh, and this. Ugh, so, so I, I'm like I said, I'm jumping the line here because I sort of feel like moments one through n could have been like yeah. the, the last minutes of Jack's teller with with the. Blitz. Let's really talk about crow CGI, everybody. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, it was just it just started to get so. It was like it was like I felt like I was I was in a war movie. All of a sudden, here come the the flying jets. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, like you could have put Flight of the Valkyrie on there and it would have been the same. It would have felt exactly the same. And then the <laughs> continuity of 
Did we really have to see Michael Chiklis in the to- when have the tomatoes on the back end? Yeah, yeah. With well, the the, the title is the title of his his, his yeah. truck is like Daddy's Goods, so you can say Jax was literally killed by that's, his that's, daddy issues, and oh, it's the title of the episode too. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I I appreciate that Kurt Sutter was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not leaving any ambiguous ending here. This is not going to be any BS fade to black Sopranos like, thing. But like, I think. Like, yeah. surely somebody can be like, you know, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lighten up a little bit on the Christ imagery for the mass murderer, please. And I think if 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 if, if given the opportunity for the three worst, that was mm-hmm. probably anything with the, the, the elements. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to show that three times. That is absolutely, like, unequivocally dumb. It just yeah. didn't need to be done. And, like, so she's eating this, you know— like I guess fortified Cisco wine and some bread, yeah. mm-hmm. and then, but it's the same every time. So then that leads that leads to the the you know I it just didn't need to be done. It was just weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I'm glad that they killed off Jax. That was the best way to go. That was that was true to um, that was true to where he had been heading, and in a way. The character's at peace because he no longer has to navigate this conflict that he could never that he was never strong enough to get out of. He's reunited with the people he loves best in the world, you know, um, Opie and Tara, uh, and he, and he got his boys out, which was always the goal. All along, I'm glad that happened. I really think that they could have been a little bit more subtle how he went out. <laughs> I'm assuming that yeah. that is not that's not for us. That is no. for an audience that really needed to get hit on the head. Yeah, with with the, the symbolism hammer. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it was it's it's cringy, right? Yeah, you know? it was just yeah. Uh, the the I I really I also it's nice. Not it's nice. It's it's look. It's laudable that Jax basically sacrificed himself. For all of these people, because mm-hmm. I, I imagine being in a headspace where you look around and you're like, so many people's lives will be better off once I'm dead. Like, I, I can't I, I imagine if that is actually if that is like an actual legitimate valid argument for you. You know, that's a, a, and that's a terrible thing. And so there's something to admire about him for being able to look that argument in the face and say, yeah, you're right. You guys have a point. I haven't been able to be an outlaw and a dad. I'm not a very. I, I was a terrible husband. As a father, I'm I'm skating the curb on a C minus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if I if I die, a lot of problems get solved because I feel like that's the decision he came to. Was this is just I'm going to keep hurting people if I stay alive. This is the best thing, and it's a different type of death than juices, which was out of utter despair. You know, because yeah. Juice, Juice basically agreed to, to. Juice was like, "Well, you know, everything." I, Juice had nothing, and Juice could Juice couldn't see any any role for himself in a bigger picture. So Jax's death had meaning where Juice's did not, or a lot of the other characters have been quasi suicidal. But at the same time, I'm just, oh, Jesus, tell her superstar, come on. <laughs> and, and 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 I know that it was his dad's bike, but I swear yeah. to you, it looked like he was riding a tricycle. He was way it did. too. It was it, so adorable. It was just. It was just so weird. And it's like, yeah. I, instead of leaning back and opening your arms out, why not just mm-hmm. go, go at it full throttle? Because it because looks like you wouldn't get the Jesus imagery then. You yeah, had to well, get the idea that he was, uh, which are just eye rolls, eye yeah. rolls, a thousand. And that was when I like did the incredulous hooting shout laughter and and woke up my poor husband who's like, keep it down. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, I just wanted to go ahead and go full throttle and, and you know, really dig into it. And instead, yeah. it was like, well, I guess I'm going to go up from 35 miles an hour to 45. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Tony, we went. Did we get everybody's bottom? Did we just kind of agree that all of our bottom moments were in the last 10 minutes? Or were there other cringy moments where, like, I didn't need to see this or this didn't need to be in the episode? I didn't like the uh, resolution with the the ridiculous convoluted thing. The scene where they yeah. get the, they get the Irish guy to come back, Yo, and the then Irish like his guy God. pulls, and yeah. then like and like suddenly there's like there's like twenty people in that room all of a sudden. Like everyone pops in. Like the Mayans are there, and the, mm-hmm. the Irish king is there, and then they get shot. And like, I mean, I guess they needed to wrap things up, but it was just kind of like. Yeah, we're going to solve all our problems by killing this un guy, but totally therefore meaning that we yeah. still need to do business with this guy who wanted to kill us. And like, I don't know. At that point, I was like, this is a horrible plan. Was yeah. my, you know? I really don't get why anyone thinks we care about the Irish at this point. I mean, almost everybody I know who's ever watched Sons of Anarchy is like, yeah, I usually go get up and get a snack them in the Irish yeah. on the screen. I mean, it's. <laughs> I think they almost would have been better off. Like, why didn't he just shoot everybody, <laughs> right? You know, like, but it's like, no, nope, we need our Machiavellian plan moment, and this is it. This is the plan. And also the the kind of the asymmetry between, like, we've got this ridiculous plan where we're going to lure the guy here, but then not actually kill him. We're going to kill the other guy that he that wants him dead. So why did we have to lure him there to begin with? Because really, like, if we had told him he was dead, that would have been way better. The asymmetry between that and, like, we showed up early at the place that guy was going to be, and then he ran away, right? It's like, you know, it's it's like, why why, why did you guys agree to meet Tyler at the place where he was going to meet the bad guy? Why didn't you meet, like, around the corner? That would have, yeah, like... That one, that one seemed really weird, like, oop. It like, it was like an oops and, you know, moment. It was like, oh, that was he's like, here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we need a chase scene, and we want to play the, the Elvis song that you got to hear seven seasons ago again, and... Um, and you know that was a nicely choreographed chase scene. It was fun and exciting yeah. and ridiculous. So the thing where you know there was a scene where like the the car literally hits like a crate that the camera is mounted on, and he drives through a gate and he drives through a room full of dolls for some reason. Yeah, because, you know, like that was that was completely unacceptable, that, <laughs> and especially the foley work with the mama, yeah. mama, come yeah. on. I laughed. Well, well Kurt Sutter has that well-known doll phobia. And some of my favorite TIG moments have actually been when it turns out he's got the doll phobia too. Like one mm-hmm. of my favorite. Yes. Again, I know like where you're going. Three, oh yeah. Cause season three, again, I want to stress that season three radically goes off the rails with the Irish stuff. Like it just, just, it takes an insane left turn into that. But the first few episodes when Gemma's on the run and they're up in Oregon and TIG is kind of having a slow motion freak out over all of the dolls and is like covering them with napkins and talking and muttering while he does it. Like one of the comedic highlights of the whole series. Oh, I me. thought you were going to bring up the whole peyote one. When, when he's, oh God, he, when he starts talking, when he's on peyote and he confuses the doll for Donna and begins apologizing. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so good. Yeah, but uh, no, it's uh, the Irish. I could care less about the Irish. Like they come on the screen, it's just blah 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 ginger, blah 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 ginger. So wow, wow, I, well, tell us how you really feel. Yeah, yeah exactly. real. But the, the Irish people in general, Lisa. That's how, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part Irish. That's the terrible part of self hating. <laughs> it was. I mean, I don't. Know. There, there, there was probably going to be no, no 
truly satisfying answer to that mm-hmm. ridiculous plot hook. So I guess that's as good as we get. But yeah. it, it, I was just like, this is a horrible plan, was what I was thinking the entire... Like, with each stage of it, right? When he, he brings those guys up on the roof and he kills the two other guys and he's yeah. like, and I'm going to use you. And it's just like... This plan is so complicated and so and still so dumb. Yes. Um, <laughs> so complicated and still so dumb. <laughs> that's, that's the quote of the night. That is, you know, that it, that could be the Sons of Anarchy. Like, that could be their, their crest. Oh you know? So complicated and still so dumb. <laughs> oh, man. That's the best. And it's so accurate. Oh, my God. <laughs> It just doesn't have to get this complex. No, no, no. (laughs) That should be the club's motto. (laughs) You're right. They just need an efficiency. We've talked about this. They just need an efficiency expert to just come in and kind of like, here, well, tell me the plan first. Okay, you Mm -hmm. you don't have to do any of that. (laughs) Sons of Anarchy goes Six Sigma. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, that's... The, yeah, the Irish. And also, I really didn't need to see, like, the crime scene text looking over Gemma and Unser's bodies. I, I don't yeah. feel, I don't feel like that added anything to Nothing. it. Nothing. It, no. it, gave, it gave Katie Seagal an extra couple minutes. Residual, I guess. Yeah. You know, whatever. But, uh... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know why that was there. Yeah. I mean, um, we know that she's dead. It's like, it's not like, you know, it's not like she moves slightly to let us know that, like, maybe she'll be back as a zombie. Um, mm-hmm. Tune in for Sons of Anarchy Horror Edition. That's um, right. That, that's uh, part of the 2013 edition. Um, or the, the tw- 2024. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, they did actually hire in an efficiency expert in the way of T.O. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, and, and Jax, Jax Tiller, civil rights hero, manages mm-hmm. to integrate the club before he goes, too. Right. So. And, and so basically, would, he, he's going to be the guy that says, what you talking about? You know, he's mm-hmm. going to be that guy. He's he's that that barrier of like, this is dumb. This is a dumb idea. It's too complicated. Yeah. My question though, what about the rest of his gang? Yeah. Like, they're not dead. <laughs> like, what happens to those guys? Like, well, like Malcolm Jamal Warner plays the second in command. So my sincerest hope is that Theo Huxtable gets patched in too. And yeah, then I thought they were all going to get. I mean, yeah, that's what I assumed is that I since Theo's patched and everyone else would, because because that's what they do with Indian Hills is they basically patch in the entire club. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, maybe that scene would have been too expensive. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it, I thought that was what I was expecting was everybody. Oh yeah, no, that was I. I was assuming my my guess is that they start with Tio, and then over a period of of days or weeks, they'll 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 get them all in. They're and also maybe, you know maybe they do have to evaluate them on a, a case by case basis. Yeah. We don't true. know all of the motorcycle club protocols. Right? No, yeah. no, that's that's the thing is is and also the the Mister. So can we talk about the Mister Mayhem vote and how weird and confusing or unnecessary it seemed to be? Because here because here is the thing. I would assume that when you have one club president kill another club president. These dudes love their their rules and their gatherings. Like, why did they not insist on having Indian Hills there to kill Jax? Mm-hmm. Because it was his club that got. Where were the outside observers to make sure that it was not rigged? Like the UN, yeah, exactly. Where are the UN observers <laughs> to make sure this was a clean execution? Um, no, but like it, it was Indian Hills grievance. So why were there no other clubs there to do it? Like why? How did they manage to finagle situation? Like, well, it's going to be you tried to kill me, but I laid down some fire, and since no one on the show ever gets shot, you were able to to faint while I ran away, and then I'll kill myself on my bike. Like. 
I didn't like that scene either. No, I, like I mean, I knew that that wasn't going to that wasn't gonna, how they were going to end it. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, it was there was some touching stuff where there's a lot like that's that's being shown, and and instead of having people say things, um, and that was that was pretty well done. Yeah, but why did they like basically have this mock te- execution? Right? I mean, that it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and and the you know, I guess it's it's just to be moving where they, you know, they have Jacks there, and maybe Jackson doesn't know that. I, it just it didn't. It felt unnecessary, right? Uh, and, yeah. and, and let me oh. let me just let, this goes back to the complexity and dumbness issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to shoot Happy point blank in the arm, which could yeah. easily give him a crippling, a crippling injury, mm-hmm. so that he can never ride a motorcycle exactly. again? Something he feels very strongly about. Yeah, yeah. No, that it's... was probably his shooting arm, also. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like Happy is probably ambidextrous. Like knowing him, he's probably thought ahead to this day, and it's like, well, I, I need to make sure I'm proficient in stabbing in both arms. So well, why why shoot anybody? Yeah, <laughs> why you know? shoot when you can stab? I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that they don't patch in someone who uses a bow and arrow because they really love the Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> or they're like, look, the Avengers have an archer. Clearly, yeah. we need one too. Um, no elves. They have strict <laughs> rules against that. No yeah. elves. <laughs> look, we'll patch in black people, but elves are off the list. Yeah, uh, that that that's actually a written law. That's not one of the unwritten. Yeah. Ones. Yeah. So Bobby has paid, paved the way that they might get a dwarf in, but no elves. <laughs> <laughs> he's got dwarf quality beardage going on he, there. That's, I think you know. he's part dwarf. Yes. Yeah. The, he the is. He, is, he has worked a forge, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So you know, Bobby was a pioneer both in terms of of being a member of the tribe and being a member of Middle Earth. So well, yeah. Well, where do you think they <laughs> yeah. got the sun's rings? I mean, he definitely was probably working on that the the forge out back where it had the sons of anarchy where they would cook the steaks. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So so yeah, I. I I feel like the club is going to be fine because they severed the ties with the Irish, and now their their two legitimate businesses are Dioza and Red Woody, and perhaps someday one of them will feel compelled to open up a garage again. Although why the people of Charming would go there is as a mystery, but you know, Jacks did accomplish. He managed to get the club into legitimate business, which has been a goal of his for, for multiple seasons. He got his kids away from Charming, also a goal. Um, oh, and he wanted he wanted them to buy uh, scoops again. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, why would you want that building? A grenade went off. I mean, structural damage alone. Like, well, that's but something I want to buy into. Pres- they'll have a presence downtown, and they can send their old ladies and their crow eaters to scoop ice cream for people. I guess. I mean, all of their businesses are built on the backs of women. So why wouldn't this one be? <laughs> that's quite honestly, that's that's pretty true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, perhaps Sons of Anarchy 2025 is going to be Daughters of Anarchy, where the women are like, wait a minute here. All of these jackasses are good for is running around and shooting things, and we're making money hand over fist. Uh- <laughs> that's, when, that's when you have the Wonder Woman stuff coming out, where you know yeah. men are really just basically you know fertilizers. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, meat stick. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but Venus, turks, Venus takes over and, and begins dressing like Wonder Woman. People get nervous, you know? But Daughters of the Amazon Motorcycle Club. Yeah, it totally go. works. Daughters of the Amazon would be because it's go. got the, the nice Sons of Anarchy Daughters of the Amazon. I like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's we'll have cool. to workshop it. We'll... Yeah, yeah. Clearly, the Artemis Teller or whatever her name is going to be is. Uh, <laughs> but um, so moment from the, from the episode that haunts me <laughs> in a bad way oh is when you see little Abel Teller playing with the ring that his grandma gave him because that seems to suggest that Gemma is going to be able to poison him from beyond the grave. I believe am that. 
am I right to be worried or is this just him diddling around and because he's five, he's going to lose the ring in a few days anyway and we don't have to ever worry about it again? That would be nice, but it's yeah. clearly clearly that's supposed to plant that seed of, of concern. Yeah, yeah. Like, so. the kids got away, but do they really get away? Is it is it too late for Abel, who has had more trauma in his short life than... Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, like, it's a miracle he doesn't have reactive attachment disorder between, like, the kidnapping and the two mothers and the and crazy grandma and, and everything else, too. So... <sighs> well, I, th- I think what's prob- well, probably what happened is... Thomas, mm-hmm. well, t- see, Thomas, I swear to you, has not aged at all. I mean, I yeah. know he has a little bit, but not anywhere near as much as Abel. But, yeah, well, this this show takes place over, like, this season takes place over the course of, what, two weeks or whatever? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's really short. Yeah, and, and remember, this started just four weeks after Tara got buried. Mm-hmm. So... And if you think about, like, they've monkeyed with Abel's age, because if you look at the timeline, like, season four starts 18, like, 16 months after season three, or, because it's, it's when the, it's when they're on parole. Mm-hmm. And in that period, it's been enough time for Tara to have a baby that's now eight months old. And then the first post-jail season is, is only a few weeks long. Season five is only a few weeks long. Season six is the same way. Like the kid wasn't e- the kid's not even one yet. The younger one, like mm-hmm. a, like a lot has happened since these guys got out of jail and were supposedly on parole. And yeah, they never really closed that loop, right? <laughs> no, it's and like no one at, came to check in on these who, guys. When you look at who went into jail and came out on parole, like Juice is dead, Clay is dead, mm-hmm. Jax is dead. Like their only successful parolee at this point is Tig failure of the prison industrial complex there. Yeah, that's, not, that's Bob- not on the sons of anarchy yeah because didn't bobby go into prison too or am i because i remember the, the opie was out well and in chibs yeah. i mean chibs yeah. was in the can oh chibs was in the can so yeah, maybe, maybe it was bobby I'm, that was out i can't remember who went to jail at the end of season three. Oh, wait a minute no, no chibs never like went away yeah no it was um it was the i think the people who went away at the end of season three were bobby clay Tig, Juice, and Jax. That's right, because that was the whole thing with uh, Juicy being I'm shy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that part of all of them, but that's what yeah. I remember. Because Opie kills, Opie kills, uh, what's her nut? Um, Kozik <laughs> is around, because um, he's the one who uh, who punches Unzer in the jaw. <laughs> and um, then I think Chibs is around no, I think Chibs actually went to jail because there's a jailhouse scene with him and uh, Tig later when they get locked up for parole violation at the beginning of season five. Anyway, the, the, the long story short, like most of the guys who went to jail at the end of season three are dead now. So failure of the parole system. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, isn't it a rule? I mean, I, I'm I'm no lawyer. Aren't mm-hmm. you not supposed to associate with other felons on parole? Yeah, and they weren't supposed to have their cuts on either, and they they forgot about that as well. So these guys should have been locked up a couple a couple episodes back, really. That would have been a really anticlimactic ending. It would have been, yeah, <laughs> like pure bureaucracy. Let's just switch to four, yeah, four episodes of you know real time trial trial hashing out. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. They, they, and there was never. I mean, ever a trial mm-hmm. scene, ever. Now, well, thank God. I mean, it's, yeah. 
that's not this show. This, no, you know, well, you we know, need car chases. No, like one of the one of the messages of the show is that the apparatus of of law and order society systematically fail these guys at every turn. And to, I, I think it would have been a little too difficult to be honest for them for the writers' room to tackle that in a way that that is fair and tells a story. But what is it that captured us about this particular show? And I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking. You know, is it just because this is just because I had a really rare day yesterday? I mean, Mm -hmm. really rare couple days. And I thought, you know what? I could see why I like the show, because it it goes against everything that I would normally do in real life. You know, it, that's good. It, you know, I, I'm, glad it went in, I'm glad that sentence went in that direction. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, but, I've used it as a primer on how to live. This is my bucket list now. Right. I mean, but like you can't like in normal situations that we we mm-hmm. would normally we live in, we can't get away with you know murder that kind of thing. And that was the other yeah. thing. That was the uh, in, in some ways I thought like what was good about the atonement of it that no one got away with anything. You know, mm-hmm. Jax was bad. He's dead, but like, yes. I, but I think about like, what is it uh, that that makes that makes the show appealing for people that don't live this lifestyle, or even that do? But, mm-hmm. huh? Okay. What captured me is <clears throat> I liked. I was drawn in because of the again there was a real sense of warmth and a really lively sense of humor. And, um, in the first few seasons, and I was drawn in because I liked the way the stories were told and you could watch it and you're like, Oh, they've put on their bad idea jeans or no Tara girl, get back to Chicago or whatever. But, you know, by the time the noose began to tighten and these people began to behave in increasingly desperate and dumb and or evil ways, I was hooked and I was invested in them. <clears throat> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I watched Justified and I've never ever run moonshine in Kentucky or Tennessee. Not or yet. Not yet. No, no, that's, I'm still young. There's time. Um. <laughs> well, see, I hated Jax when I first started watching the show. I was like, uh, yeah, this show's not going to work. No, I, see, I loved it from the beginning because it was just so, so stinking funny. Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me, it, I, I mean, I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it. Uh oh. Uh oh. He'll be back. He'll be back to us. He likes. He right. has to be, right? <clears throat> he will be. Yeah. He probably can hear us fully right yeah. now. Oh no. Hmm. But I. I but it, it, it's funny though because I, I honestly like think about that. It's like, you know, with Jax especially. I think, and I think it's like you know, I did. I there was the white shoes. Which mm-hmm. actually, we didn't even bring up because that's a huge piece to the equation of the of this yeah. particular episode of Jax. Yeah, he's in boots the whole time, and he and he, there's that conscious changing of that. Like here, here are my death shoes. Mm-hmm. But like that was the part uh, that I really kind of like. I just didn't get. But then I got more and more into like it. It didn't take very much for me to just jump yeah. into the show, but. You know, because this guy who saunters around, I'm like, mm-hmm. he's the hero. Yeah, and you're like, he's smug and he's awful, and and <laughs> and and these people make terrible decisions and they're not good for the town. But part of me sympathizes with them because you learn early on that 
they've really been shuttled to the margins of society. Oh, is he back? Uh, he just dumped and now, hey, there he goes. There he Hi. goes. Hi. Sorry, sorry. No, there you are. Yeah. No, it's you, the, there. There are people who they make it really clear really early on. These are guys who are barely scraping together a living most of the time. They have few marketable skills. They don't have much of a safety net. So it it makes it really clear why you would find a motorcycle gang to be like a logical <clears throat> a logical life decision, and then what the horrible consequences are of not having very many choices to begin with. Like, that's something that they used to hammer home with a lot more regularity is that these folks were, were trapped by a country that had based... These, tra- these folks were trapped by a country that's left them behind. I mean, they perfectly illustrate the, the problems of a lot of the 21st century working class economy where the jobs that used to give people decent livings, you know, uh, like dock work or construction work or warehouse work or whatever, like you can't support a family. That was the whole point to, to Opie's financial troubles in the first season was, you know, he, he couldn't support his family because he had no skills and no education. And so I, one of the things I've always enjoyed about Sons of Anarchy is it actually does take a pretty thoughtful look at how hard it is to not be middle class educated and, and or white in this country, you know? I mean, you see a lot of people who are forced into some pretty awful situations just because, you know, they had the bad luck to get pregnant at 18 and childcare is expensive and the guy runs off or, you know, they, they, they're in a house where, where dad's in a biker gang and mom is drunk and no one's around to make sure they go to school, which was Opie's, which was Opie's damage. And, and I liked how that played out and it illustrated that people are often trapped by circumstances and then once they're there, their choices are not very good. So, it, you know, it, based around that, now I start to think mm-hmm. about, well, Gemma, whose background mm-hmm. really shouldn't have gone the way it did. Yeah. And she actually tried to rectify that and become mm-hmm. the person that maybe she was intended to be mm-hmm. at the very end. That was, yeah. but that was, but that was even kind of just oddball. Yeah, I, I get the sense that Gemma was kind of trapped by by her. Gemma was kind of trapped by the time and place she was in too, because you know she was running wild in the early seventies or whatever. And for all of the "we're free, we're wild" um, business going on, um, it's a lot easier to be a man and and tune in, turn on, and drop out in the late sixties than it was to be a woman. I've I've read some some uh, books about the counterculture at the time. And a lot of times when you uh, interview women, they're like, yeah, you know, while they were off having peace, freedom and love, someone had to make sure the commune was running. And that, and that was us. So, but I think that, you know, and that seems like that's, I say that's always been the case, but that's kind of, and it a very, I don't know if that's the right word. Like endearing is not the right word I'm looking for, but it's like what I think is that Gemma had been a dude, she'd have been running the club. That, and, yeah. her, and, and her big tragedy is that she was running away from um, a very flawed upbringing, one where she felt unloved and alone and abandoned. She falls into this, this family of choice where these guys have all vowed to be family to each other. She fits into that culture in the only way they will literally allow her to, but because she's headstrong and has a big sucking void where she's just emotionally needy, she began to to adopt these people to her family and then run them from the inside. I mean, she, she would have been less of a menace to society if she been if she had been a man because she would have been a hell of a lot more straightforward about what she wanted and what she could do. Uh, so, so, so that was it. that was it. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. We, we, we didn't get to hear Tony's answer to the question. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. What was it? What was it? I, that's, I know. I'm, 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 I'm backtracking in the back of my head, too, because I know I wanted to hear it. That's why I'm, oh, Were we just talking, we just talking about why, why, uh, why we, why we appreciate the characters, characters or why, why, you know, why do we watch, why it? watch it? Um, that's, um, that's what it was. That's, yeah, that's why, why do you watch it? What attracted you to this? I mean, I think I watch a lot of kind of, you know, crime type shows and, and the kind of template that I, I enjoy is there's a lot of them where there's, you know, you have this villainous type character who is uh, to some degree charismatic and the show is uh, kind of about that person's downfall and whether, you know, what what version of justice will they end up with, right? Uh, and what and what will they navigate along the way? And, and you know, I mean, there's the, the, the kind of escapism element that you know, the, this person can use, uh, you know, violence and brutal methods to navigate problems that other people would not navigate in that way. But also the the fallout from that, that, you know, that, that, that is not necessarily the best way to solve problems. In fact, it's, you know, that causes a lot of problems. There's a reason not everybody does that in the real world, right? But that, but, you know, but that's like, that's exciting, right? I mean, I mean, it, to, it, me, it's, to me, it's, it's, interesting. it's interesting. I think, I think Sons of Anarchy, Sons of Anarchy falls, falls into this interesting... I see a lot of people, like, people like wearing Sons of Anarchy, Anarchy like sweatshirts, like sweatshirts and, and, and things like that. Like that. And I think there's some people that don't totally take away the whole complete message from the show. And they're the same people who, like, I feel like five or six years ago, I saw them all wearing Sopranos shirts. And, like, ten years ago, they were wearing, like, Scarface shirts. And it's like, they like the kind of, like, you know... They like the swagger. They like the swagger. Swagger, but like, but like, the lesson. The, the, Scarface, Scarface is not a is movie not about a how movie great about it is, how great to, be it is to be Scarface, right? <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, did it's you guys like, did watch, you guys the, watch end? the end? You know, you know. Yeah. I mean. You know, yeah, I, I, don't no, know, I, I don't know. I, I used to teach marketing students who thought that Don Draper was really great. Really great. And I was like, I don't think I don't you're watching all of that show. You're missing out on a major. You're missing. You're only watching like like a very narrow cross section of that show. If you think the show is if Mad Men is about how great it is to be Don Draper, that is not what that show is about. Sorry, sorry. I think one of the things that Sons of Anarchy suffers from is because its creator has been super vocal about, oh, it's a soap opera on Harley's, and because it does have a really vocal outlaw type um, image and the show's marketers have been very canny about that like there's been a lot of articles where the actors will mention that yeah we run into OG gangsters and they're like oh thanks to you guys the hood's quiet for a few hours on Tuesday night in the fall and and so it implies that you know there's but I think what happens then is the 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 people who are professional snob tv watchers who who you know again love the mad men and mm-hmm. natter on ceaselessly about homeland and whatnot what they miss is that Sons of Anarchy over seven seasons actually had a really unsparing look at, again, what it's like to be working class in America mm-hmm. and how hard it is and, and, how I the think system is, is, and how the system's designed to screw you over. And I feel like Justified on FX also does this, too. And people tend to forget that, oh, you know, it's Timothy Oliphant who's handsome. And he shoots guns and <laughs> and they, they focus on that. And what they what they seem to forget is that a lot of Justified also focuses on people who are acutely aware of how limited their options are and are mm-hmm. doing the best they can to try to work around those limitations. And this is where I feel like Sons of Anarchy got a really bad rap is because so much of that show is about people desperately scrambling to understand the rules of a game that's fixed against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think that you, Tony, you brought up the whole escapism aspect, mm-hmm. which I think is initially the big, big draw and yeah. I think once you're there, then you – if you're watching it at a certain level, mm-hmm. you you start to 
start to go go into exactly what you're saying, Lisa. You start to see, you start to see what is it that made these people tick? Why mm-hmm. why are they the way they are? Yeah. It 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 ceases to become gunplay, and it's interesting that you brought up Scarface because I wrote a paper on this in film um, studies, which was the impact of Scarface on Black America, and mm-hmm. and a list, especially why it seems that Black Americans seem to have this really odd like magnetism to Scarface, mm-hmm. and essentially it 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 was it was the the reason for it has nothing to do with, you know, Tony Montana's actions. It was the fact that he was something from nothing. Yeah, that's the the the, the biggest the biggest thing, and that's and it's interesting because that's that's looking at something like yeah, there's that escapism aspect, but really the story is I can be anything I want to be, but now yeah. within obviously limits, but you know the but the idea of I could do this. I could become something, even though I I'm at the bottom tier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a way out. There's a way up. Right, and it may not always be the best way. It wouldn't be the the most moral way, but there is a mm-hmm. way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, there's a there, I, I can escape. Like there's a way. Out. Yeah, because you. It's striking that the upward mobility in Sons of Anarchy, the the most successful examples of it, two of the three of two of the three of the examples for the women are dead, because mm-hmm. you you had Luann who was a really successful entrepreneur, and she gets beaten to death, and you have Tara who fled Charming, put herself through medical school, and flourished until she got sucked back to Charming and again mm-hmm. beaten to death, and now you have Lila who has actually kind of failed upward by being in the right place at the right time a lot and benefited greatly from a lot of Jax's mixed place guilt about Opie. Like she was mm-hmm. the recipient of a lot of that and uh, she's going to thrive and we can hope that she doesn't meet the same end as her predecessors. But um, they also did a great job of using her to illustrate how precarious people's lives are. Like she had a real dick. She had like a childcare problem in season three for a while. That's kind of how Obi got dragged in. And there was kind of, I'll watch your kids if you watch mine. And next thing you know, they're, they're hanging out together and all that. But yeah, it's, it's just, there was always an undercurrent of desperation on sons of anarchy. And in a way it's almost anthropological, almost anthropological, the same. It's like that in, in justified too. Mm-hmm. To me, some of, to me, some of the best scenes in justified, one of the greatest scenes was when Ava and, um, Boyd go to um, a party in someone's McMansion and they're basically treated like a sideshow attraction. And the look on Boyd's face when he realizes that it doesn't matter that he actually has more money and greater influence than these people. There's all these subtle social cues that uh, they're always going to be judging him on. He's always going to fail. Like when he realized that the, the, the box he'd been shoved in and how badly he wanted to get out of it. Like that was a really powerful moment on that show. And, um, this show never had quite that many moments, but it had a lot of moments where it showed you just how hard it is, how people scramble, how they how they end up talking to their biker pals for medication to keep their emphysema in check or whatever. Or, you know, like Bobby was always hustling gigs because they needed to pay for Tiki's asthma because the insurance was terrible. And, and that's like a fact of life for people. I liked that the show did that. To me, that, st- that stuff was more interesting and more real than the car chases. <laughs> well, the car chases... I'm I'm going to be real honest. Mm-hmm. Are, are pretty flimsy. Yeah, you got to fast. You can just fast forward through those, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not going to catch any plot details necessarily. Yeah. No. 
But yeah, some of them are real, just there to yeah. they're for, for for filler to. to and, mm-hmm. I, and I still keep will go it, on keep a certain part of the audience amused, right? Yeah, yeah. It, which it, is it, sometimes me, but right, you know. but yeah, especially but, yeah. when you put jazz on on, on a car yeah. chase, it just it was like well, I don't even know what I'm watching at this point. Oh no! No one likes jazz. Well, I'm sure this is where you get angry. Tweets are people wrong. I love both Sons of Anarchy and jazz. That one car scene was the happiest moment I've had all year. You're the only <sighs> person that even remotely would say that. Yeah, but um, yeah. No, I was kind of emotionally drained by the end of this episode. Um, but the one thing. Okay, so here's the question I keep chewing over my head because I have like four different theories. Um, the homeless woman. Uh oh. Can we talk our theories on the right, homeless let's, woman let's, or who you think she is or what you, what she, what you think you, she brought to the show? Pull the pants. Yeah. My first gut instinct, and I did not even see this. My wife said, is mm-hmm. she real? And then I thought, well, they could be pulling the whole, well, she's actually God and it's the whole God is a woman type situation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which I, I guess is plausible. I just found that really weird, the fact that he had said, who are you? Mm-hmm. And that's not answered, but you, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like, who do men say that I am? Yeah. And so it, the question wasn't necessarily answered. And, and then she says, what, it's time, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. didn't help. That's like your only line, basically. Right. Right. And she seems mm-hmm. pretty cogent about it as well. So I, you know, and it, so it leads me to believe, like when when we've seen her, mm-hmm. we saw her at the um, the dog fighting place where she yeah. was playing with a bear. Yeah, and she's pulling it out, and she looks at Jax, and she begins to croon. Soon you'll be safe. Soon they'll be safe now. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what she says? Yeah, I went back because um, I have nothing better to do. Um, <laughs> I went back and um, looked at her appearances because I was trying to think, has anyone other than Jax or Gemma ever seen her? And um, there are her appearances in season one where there's the exchange she has with Gemma. And the first thing she says is, Abel will save us all. And um, then Gemma says, I'm sorry, what? And she was able to save my sons. And Jim was like, oh, okay, whatever. And at the end of season one, when Jax is falling asleep in the cemetery, when he wakes up, he gives her back the blanket mm-hmm. that she gives him at the end of the series. So there's, 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 there's that exchange. She shows, I can't remember her appearances in season two very well. What I remember is there was an appearance in season four where she's at the rest stop right before Tara gets, you know, kidnapped by the CIA and bangs up her hand and that spirals downhill. Oh wait a minute! Um, she's at the at the tr- she's at the truck stop, and she's at the truck stop for Gemma, and she's and they just look at each other, and she's mm-hmm. got the stroller, and um, and the trucker sees her too. In season six, the two people who see her are actually the girl, the crazy girl who's her, who's her, who's probably her daughter, or you know who has a mother that looks like the homeless person, mm-hmm. you know Brooke, Brooke who lost her mom in the John Teller accident, and then she and Juice. Um, have an incident where she passes right by him as he's burying the murder weapon for Tara. And then there was the scenes this season at the truck stop. And um, then with Jax when he's like, who are you? And my whack job theories in no particular order are one, um, 
she's like the angel of death who forecasts things for for John and Gemma, and she appears to them at critical de- for for Jackson Gemma, and she appears at critical decision points in their lives when they make a decision that influences the outcome of events. So that's so that's one theory is that, mm-hmm. that she she's kind of a harbinger of of you have a decision it can go one of two ways, and the only reason I say this is because she shows up at the um at the park where 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 Jacks and Tara are, and you can argue that Tara's downhill spiral begins when she gets kidnapped and her hand gets slammed in the door because mm-hmm. she loses her job, and that's when her marriage to Jacks begins to fracture because before his outlaw stuff was just his outlaw stuff. But once, like, they started laying hands on her and she loses her job over it, that seed of resentment begins to bloom and that distance comes up between them. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, my, that was my first area was, well, she appears to them in, in, in times of, of decision-making when they can either help or harm somebody. My other whack job theory is that she's the personification of charming and that she's like the spirit of vengeance that Charming has kind of tried to generate in protection against Sam Crow because Sam Crow was slowly killing the town, and she took on the avid and she took on the appearance of an innocent Charming citizen who had been killed because that's you know what's more symbolic than that than somebody who died just because of some stupid biker beef that they had nothing to do with, and she haunts the people who do the most damage to the town. And helps them out of town, and this is this, and she's basically Charming's immune system or Charming's defense system, and it's not a very good one because you know it's it's mis, mis, mysticism and cosmic rules you don't understand. But my that, that those are my two theories: is that one either she's like an angel of of fore, foretelling, or two she's Charming's defense system, and it's almost like an immune system trying to push Jax and Gemma out of the town or trying to get them to minimize their damage. So yeah, I like the I like the angel of death theory. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I like that, I mean, it is kind of, it's left open, right? I mean, he, Kurt Sutter doesn't hit us over the head and say, like, this is what this is, Um, Mm -hmm. which is, which is good because he hits us over the head in a lot of other places this episode, right? So it's nice that he, there's one little thing. um, But yeah, because she does kind of show up at these kind of pivot points, right? Um, Yeah. And yeah, I kind of like the Angel of Death one is the one that kind of resonated with me the most in that, Mm -hmm. you know, she's basically, you know, Jax, now you're going to do the thing that's going to seal your fate, right? Um, yeah. Um, I didn't have any other good theories. Um, I was trying to think if the, if the you know, because she does appear to uh, Gemma several times if she was somehow like symbolic of, uh, you know, of, of Gemma's mother or something like that, but I, I couldn't come up with anything that sticks. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Angel of Death works for me. I actually kind of like your second one if I start to think about it. As the personification of the innocence, like like of 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 innocent people being being hurt, and yeah, she, it's, she's it's like, like Charming's defense system against the people that are hurting it most, you know. And, and she can't necessarily interfere, but she is monitoring, obviously because she's like guardian angel kind of right. I mean, yeah. like lo- I mean, logistically, I mean, we talked about it last episode with um, her being at the truck stop and like how how is that even possible? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, yeah, they, you know, these homeless people, yes, will travel, but let's, but really, it was really odd. And we all, I mean, it caught me, I was just like, what? So mm-hmm. it seems as though she is not exactly of this world in some capacity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like that they left it ambivalent in a way, 
and that um, you can infer a supernatural element, but there doesn't necessarily have to be one. It can just be kind of a wacky coincidence that she looks like this killed person and that Sutter lets us draw our own conclusions. Um, but I like that how over the course of the series, it's plain that she pops up when Jax or Gemma are about to do serious damage to somebody. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it is yeah. kind of symbolic that, you know, she mm-hmm. looks like a person, an innocent bystander who was kind of one of the, the first named innocent bystanders chronologically that was hurt by the club's actions, right? Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. That actually ticked me off about Jax's death is that um, that poor that poor trucker is going to have it on his conscience. Yeah, he he's in bad shape both ways because he both kills Jax <laughs> and he also drove Gemma to her death. So that's yeah, like that's exactly. that's that's a that's a rough week for that guy. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, but he didn't know that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He may mm-hmm. actually feel real good about it if he finds out that Gemma got murdered by him. So he's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I did a good deed. I I feel like I would not feel okay about hitting anyone with well, a Well, okay, well, <laughs> again. But I'm not Vic Mackey, so. Yeah. <laughs> Vic Mackey. <laughs> it's full circle. Yeah. See, eventually <laughs> he has to suffer. Yeah, I, I, it would have been great if he was Vic Mackey. I would have loved it. <laughs> yeah, and he'd been it, like, "This is the most excitement I've had since I laid waste to Los Angeles." <laughs> yeah. Just a simple trucker now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it really over? <sighs> yeah, Crazy. it is. It is, and um, I'm kind of relieved because I love the show, and I will defend the seven years I've spent watching it as, as a good idea, but it was really trying my patience for the last one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm glad that it, it ended the way it did. I, I think Sutter though had a hard time killing his babies as it were. I'm honestly surprised the body count wasn't a little bit higher. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people yeah. still make it out. I mean, he does murder a lot of people in this last, last episode, but you know, yeah. <sighs> but the bad guys lost. That's the important part. Yep, that is the important part. The bad guys lost. The kids have broken free. Abel's going to lose that ring. I think everything's going to be great. Well, I mean, short of him trying to make a serious in the future, you know, that the, the boys come back to charming because they found some paper somewhere. But you know, again, their father burned everything to cinders. Um, Wendy doesn't seem like the type of person who keeps a blog. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I think um, there's part of me that's like, how is this going to work logistically when they're down in Mexico? Like, how much paperwork is there? And, and did, you know, are they going to have to bring back the lawyer at some point for guardianship issues? Because are there any relatives <clears throat> are going to come popping out of the woodwork? But Wendy is Abel's biological mom. So she has a plausible, cl- she, she has plausible claim to custody and, and she can say, look, you know, before her death, Tara <clears throat> made, <throat> made, made guardianship plans for, you know, Thomas with me. Oh God, the paperwork of anarchy. Yeah. That's the web-based series <laughs> where, where it's just every week it's Wendy trying to fill out more forms. <laughs> it's a rough lot. I'm not going to, yeah. wa- I'm not going to watch that show, mm. <laughs> but it could mm. be a cool spinoff show, you know, Wendy and mm-hmm. Nero at the farm. A lot more like cute animal montages. And- sure, oh sure. Yes, Nero, Nero laughing as the chickens scratching the dirt with Thomas or whatever. Mm. Nero, yeah. Nero with power tools. As as the person who's nominally driving this podcast, I think what we've, we've done is we've managed to wrap up Sons of Anarchy. 
Thanks for the ride. We enjoyed the mayhem with you. And please look for us to return talking about The Flash, including the ever-popular drinking game Shub Cisco. Um, theories about why... Um, Dr. White Harris uh, feels the need to run around in the Prius of wheelchairs. Because that's like the quietest wheelchair known to man. True. Um, True. And, and whether or not Caitlin's going to get back together with her boyfriend, even though he's been turned into, you know, uh, a, a human lighter. <laughs> that's, that's hot romance. Yes. It was a privilege to do these with you guys. Yeah. And I, I loved talking with you about them. And I'm really looking forward to us doing the flash. And to all of you who are listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate it too. For the last time on the Sons of Anarchy Flashcast, this is Lisa Schmeiser. Phil Moselak riding off. Mm-hmm. Tony Sindelar. All right. Have a good night. Good night. <laughs> good night. <laughs> <laughs>